This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months of their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guarantee. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Hello and welcome to The Freelancer Show. Today we're going to do Q&A. I'm joined this week by Philip Morgan. Hello. And Kai Davis. Hey, hey, hey. And I'm Jonathan Stark. Ruben's off training somewhere, I believe, so I believe he'll be back next week. We'll have to struggle along without him. Um, but we thought we would do uh, a Q&A episode today. And we pulled in uh, a number of recent questions that we've gotten. And it looks like a theme is starting to develop. Looks like we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be fielding some questions about positioning that we've all gotten uh, from various students and readers. So I guess uh, we could just kick it off. Let's dive what, in. Yeah. Uh, I guess I pasted the first one in the chat. So let me, let me uh, just read that and then we can kind of round robin it. Sounds perfect. Okay. So here's the question. I have a quick question regarding the laser focused positioning statement. I understand that to market myself as a generalist is a bad idea. So the LFPS needs to be really laser focused on one target audience. Is it possible to market myself with different positioning statements to different target audiences? How would that look on a homepage? This is a good question. This is, I, I get this one fairly regularly. I'm sure Philip gets it all the time. <laughs> and I think it's hilarious that the asker finished off with how would that look on a homepage because it's impossible to make that work on a homepage and, and they're, they're getting right into the, I think the crux of that problem, which is that, I mean, in, in my opinion, if you're, you can have different products as long, you know, all on the same website, as long as they speak to the same audience, because then you're talking to, you know, the same group of people. So the interests that you, uh, that they have are going to be addressed by maybe you know, a, a Mercedes option kind of product or a blog post or a, a book that you wrote. But if you have different audiences coming to the same website, you're going to do nothing but confuse them. I, I don't think there's any good way to do this. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, uh, I 99% I, I agree. I think like there are possible ways to do this. And Joanna of Copy Hackers wrote a post back in 2013 writing a page for two audiences, and that'll be in the show notes. But I, I think it's possible to market yourself with positioning statements to different audiences, but where it breaks down is exactly as you pointed out, on the homepage, suddenly you're speaking to e-commerce, let's say Shopify store owners with one hand, and with the other you're talking to uh, dog lawyers. And people are going to come to your homepage, they're going to be very, very, very confused. But I think about sort of the first question here, 
is it possible to market yourself with different positioning statements to different target audiences? I would say absolutely. I mean, I look at my own businesses. I have one business targeting the freelancer and consultant market at kydavis.com and another targeting the Shopify store owner market at wercommerce.com. And two completely different audiences, two completely different positioning statements, but two completely different homepages. I would never mix the two together on a single homepage because that would just inspire confusion. And as soon as somebody is confused on your site, they're going to hit the close button or the back I think about this maybe in a more, or I have to start philosophically. Like if, if I was in a real-time conversation with a person who asked this question, I would want to know what their goals are over time because they may have different goals than what I'm assuming. I'm assuming anybody who is even remotely interested in the idea of positioning or specializing has as their end game developing expertise that is super freaking valuable. If that's not the case, if you're looking for something different, the advice might be different. Uh, but I, I think to me that's really important. I, I think that's the goal of, of narrowing down your focus or having a laser focus to how you position yourself is, uh, Surely you're at least interested in the idea of having expertise that is so valuable that if you make it available, clients will gladly pay an effective hourly rate of two, $300 an hour plus. So if that's the goal, then first of all, I don't think you can, I, there's not very many people who can develop that expertise if they're multitasking in their career. They need mm -hmm. a good three to five years of really specific focus, I think, to even have a chance of doing that. If you think about um, what it takes to become a licensed attorney, CPA, or doctor, it takes about that much training. Mm -hmm. And I don't see why it's any different for a freelancer. So on the one hand, that's the first question I would start with is, is that what you're trying to accomplish? Are you trying to set yourself up so that you are focused in a way that lets you develop expertise that's so insanely valuable that people will gladly pay you three, four, five hundred dollars an hour plus? If so, why are you thinking about multitasking? Why aren't you so compelled by that vision of what could happen for you in the future that you're not throwing everything into this one bucket? But I suspect the way the question's written that maybe someone is wanting that initial advantage that you get, that marketing advantage that you get by being clear about who you serve. And in which case, I, I would just refer them to Kai's answer, because I think that you can get that initial advantage, even if you are multitasking and serving multiple audiences with different needs. But I think that's got a sort of uh, glass ceiling built into it to that approach. So at some point, I think you've got to decide if you're really wanting to develop that ridiculously valuable expertise because that that path looks very different than, oh, I just I, I want to stop having ineffective marketing. If that's your goal, then just don't mix the positioning statements on the same site and you'll be fine for, for a while. What, what do you guys yeah. think? That's interesting because my answer to him was don't do it. But I think I was probably, probably presuming that this was going to go beyond just a, you know, 
setting up a couple of websites. Mm-hmm. So the, the, I mean, I'm in this situation because I had a mobile consulting business had, had, and have, it's been around for over 10 years. And when I started doing more of this freelancer stuff, doing business coaching, it, it, I started out putting that stuff on my normal jonathanstark.com site. And, Mm. you know, if if you're getting like a CMO of target on jonathanstark.com and there's a big thing like, Hey, I was just on the freelancer show talking about not billing by the hour. It's like, what? (laughs) <laughs> you know, like it's just, it made no sense. Like the, the audience is just completely different. So finally, and I, I tried all sorts of things, you know, click here. If you heard me on the most recent podcast I was on and, but I, it sort of put it way at the top, but really small. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can see it and not see it at the same time. And finally I just, uh, spun up expensiveproblem.com and just moved the, the content that was relevant to, each type of person, each type of audience to a dedicated space. And that felt a lot less awkward. That's for sure. But for me, if I was actually trying to start both businesses at the same time, so like I just quit my full-time job, let's say, and I'm really into pricing theory. I just love it. And I want to help other uh, independent professionals price their products and services. And I'm really excited about that. I'm going to create a website for that. And Oh, by the way, I've also got this deep expertise in uh, responsive web design or something. So I'm going to sell myself out, you know, sell that service to a different kind of customer. There is no way without hiring employees, I'd be able to do both of those things and actually do any work. Yeah. Even though I just don't have the time. Even yeah, even the marketing aspect of it might be burdensome, right? Like even if you could somehow do the work of those two businesses of delivering the service, <laughs> the mm. marketing, mm. Or, or were you thinking more just even the work of doing those two businesses would not, they, they could not coexist at the same time as new ventures? The, the work can, because okay. I'm not billing by the hour, right. you know, so I can, I can charge uh, you know, I can charge higher fees in the mobile side because there's a, a more tangible business outcome and I'm dealing with larger clients. But if I was just starting out, I don't suppose that would be true. Um, let, let's just roll back the clock to when this happened for me in 2010, I released this book, came out, uh, published with O'Reilly. It was a huge success right out of the gate. There were no other books like it at the time. I was completely at the right point on the, you know, hype cycle for mobile. And I was immediately getting, contacts from big customers. So, you know, it it wasn't like I had to work my way up to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right out of the gate, I got really lucky and had big clients willing to write me good sized checks. And it didn't, and I, back then I was not billing by the hour. I was, uh, you know, delivering an outcome for a fair price. So I did, so doing the work actually wasn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be the hard part and it wouldn't be the time consuming part. It would be doing the marketing for the two different things. If I was going to do anything other than basically have the two sites up that, you know, once they were set up, just leave them. And then, and then to actively market a business can, it takes a lot of focus. I don't it know. Takes a lot of time and attention and energy. Yeah. I mean, when you guys say 20 to 50% of your time, is likely to go to marketing at, at 
you know, over the course of a year in your business? I'd say 50% of it goes to working on the business. It's not all marketing. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So some product creation, um, but you know, a lot of it's marketing. I mean, if you count email, you know, daily email list, that's marketing doing podcasts like this. I suppose that's marketing, uh, going on other podcasts. That's marketing. Um, yeah. Speaking at events, speaking at events. Yeah. It's probably 50%, 50% marketing. Yep. I mean, maybe not every week, but it, it, if you're, I, I guess I would phrase it by saying if you're not prepared to spend that much time, you're, you're not really equipping yourself with every chance for success. Maybe right, you might as well just that. do one. <laughs> yeah. One of the ways, one of the ways I've often thought about it is you need between two and four, or even more between four and six. If you're really, really focusing on it, active lead channels for your business. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe it's guesting on podcasts, maybe it's hosting your own podcast, maybe it's going to meetups, maybe it's writing a book, but just maybe it's referrals, different lead sources for your business. And so one way that I see sort of, Hey, I'm, I'm chasing two rabbits. I'm focusing on two separate audiences here working as if you're able to establish, say, referral based partnerships or lead channels. Maybe it's Facebook ads. Maybe it's something else that are bringing prospects to you. They're opting in. They're getting nurturing. You might invest a lot of time and some money up front to build these automated marketing channels and some time uh, recurring to maintain them. But that sort of moves some of the 50% time required off of the plate, allowing you to focus on other areas of the business, but it still means you need to be driving leads to both businesses. If you aren't, you de facto do not have a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think in terms of important context that we all know, but listeners may not, I think we're all, we're all talking about businesses where it's essentially a solo thing. The person who delivers the service is also marketing the service and, mm -hmm. you know, doing everything. If you had a team delivering the service, it might look a little different, but I still think some of our concerns about spreading yourself too thin would, would still apply. Mm -hmm. That's a good point because I do have a couple of people who, you know, the, most of the stuff I say personally say here and in other places on my list and so on and so forth, they're guidelines. And without talking to someone specifically, you know, you don't know if there's an exception and sometimes there are, I think, exception, exceptional circumstances because somebody's particular situation is sort of an edge case. And <clears throat> I can think of two, two immediately come to mind. There are probably more where it's the, the principal and founder of a firm that's basically a dev shop who wants, you know, needs to keep that going for a variety of reasons. You know, the commitments to the employees and, and big income and all those sorts of things, but they want to go out kind of on their own as just the strategic level as a, as a, under their own name, basically. So they want to sell themselves as a pure advisory consultant to perhaps the same it, perhaps in the same area of expertise, but probably a slightly different audience, probably a slightly different buyer inside of the organization. But I, I feel like in a situation like that, it's probably, I think it's okay if the person has the time. So if they're like, yes, I do have my, my firms on autopilot more or less, uh, it's, I'm, I'm out of the critical path. 
I've got time to focus on building something new. Maybe I'll sell the firm at some point to somebody else. I really want to make a bigger impact. I want to operate at a strategic level with my clients and not just be coding. And uh, I, I think that can work. You know, they spin up a site that's just their name and they, they put products and services on there that are specific to that kind of thing. So, yeah, but if you're, if you're, but they have a team, you know, so they, they usually have the kind of cash flow from the firm that they can pay someone to do their website for them and they can pay someone to do Facebook ads for them or whatever. So they can't, they have a little bit more flexibility in terms of like their buying power. Mm -hmm. But that's other than that, it's if you're on your own, like Philip's point is excellent. If, if you're on your own, it's really, I mean, I'm, I'm doing it right now. And let me tell you, it is a lot of work. And it, to, to imagine starting both from scratch and not having one be this sort of established business already is it would, it would, uh, I mean, I have a family and stuff, so I can't just work, work 80 hours, like maybe when I was 20, but, um, it would be a, it would be a 60 to 80 hour work week every week if I was trying to do both of those on my own from scratch. So, so question here. One thing that I know all three of us have talked about in the past is when you're starting out making that transition from generalist to specialist, uh, doing penetration testing, seeing if you're able to get a foothold in a market. So maybe there's a different read of this, uh, subscribers question where it's, as I make that transition, if I have two audiences or two target markets I'm considering going after, do I put them both on my homepage? How should I conquer that challenge? Yeah, that's a really great point, Kai. I, I think that I would still advocate for doing uh, brief, inexpensive experiments that are kind of firewalled from each other, or they're they're you know they're they're apart from each other. They're not sharing the same web presence. That's really, I think, the key thing here is, could they even be on the same web presence? Like, maybe you've somehow solved the homepage problem and somehow figured that out. Could, would, would it even make sense for them to share the same web presence? And I would say generally no. Mm -hmm. So you, you might approach those experiments in parallel, which gets into what we were just talking about with workload. <clears throat> you may not have the bandwidth to execute some small experiments in parallel, so you just do them serially one after the other, you'd say, okay, I think this is the best shot I have. I think if I position myself as being a software developer for uh, manufacturing companies, I think that's going to be a good shot. And maybe you try that for three to six months. And when I say try it, I mean, in a, in a structured way so that you're, you're doing an experiment that gives you useful evidence and data about whether this is likely to work. Mm -hmm. and you, you just are not happy with the results of that experiment. Then you move on to the next one. I think that serial approach is probably more a better fit for most people. I think it's certainly more likely to work because you're not dividing your attention. I don't know about mm -hmm. you guys, but multitasking just kills me. Every time I try to divide my attention too much, it, it does not work to my satisfaction. Yeah, I've been executing an outreach campaign for my mobile business as an exercise, a dog pudding exercise for my coaching business to, sh to sort of walk people through the, the trenches really mm -hmm. of doing that. And so I'm using it as, so I'm, I'm sort of getting, I'm double dipping on the benefit. So, and it is just, uh, it's so, I just feel schizophrenic 
half the time. I almost have to schedule a day where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to think about credit unions today. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the thing that we have, I mean, we've been talking about web, but that's just your website. This gets way more complicated on social media because if you, if somebody is, for my mobile business, if somebody Googles me and they're going to find me on Twitter and they're going to find me on LinkedIn, my name's not that common. And it's going to be the first hit. So like they go to Twitter and they're going to be like, wait, is this the same guy mm-hmm. that I found that I saw, I shared some posts on LinkedIn and now I'm Googling for him and this Twitter feed is like, what, what, what is, what sense does it, it makes no sense. So I, I, it's, it's not easy to solve. I can't solve it. I tried to solve it a couple of different ways and there's really, I don't think there's a real way to do it. You can't just, you can't get everybody to move. So like, <laughs> Like, uh, how do you describe this? It's like the situation I I basically said, okay, my LinkedIn profile was basically unused. It was almost like a squatter type profile that I occasionally updated. Like it was my resume. So when I started doing this credit union, this hardcore credit union outreach, I spruced it up. I made it really clear. I made a very clear value proposition. I linked it to the Jonathan Stark site, which is the mobile site. I made sure that there's a lot of really relevant, interesting content in my activity stream for the kind of people I was targeting. So like senior executives and credit unions I started connecting with those sorts of people. So a lot of it's, it takes a lot of time and a lot of work <clears throat> and, and all of the people who are on my mailing list and listening to this podcast, when they land on my LinkedIn page, they know that that's what I'm doing because they've been hearing about it, but that's not normally what would happen. But okay, in that direction, it, it's kind of, I've kind of solved the problem. But in the other direction, when the credit union exec finds me on Twitter and f- sees that I wrote hourly billing is nuts and is like, oh, this must be a different guy. Uh, there's no way for me to, there's no way to move the conversations that were happening on Twitter someplace else. I, there's no way to hide them. It almost sounds like it's an example of the homepage problem that the reader wrote in with. As you have these multiple positions or multiple target markets you're going after for platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter, where you have really like, this is my Twitter. There is There are many like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> you get this crossing of the streams where some of it is the freelance content, some of it is the mobile content, or the people viewing it are from both markets. And there's no easy way to segment who's seeing what. Right. And I tried to move, I tried to move all the hourly billing people to a new feed, but they just, it doesn't work Mm -hmm. because they, they just keep at messaging you at the old one and there's no redirect. Like I have no control over how Twitter works. So Mm -hmm. I, you just, I just couldn't move them off. I started a ditching hourly account and I tried to get it. It it just didn't work. People kept pulling me back to my main Twitter account. And, and so finally what I did was I just took my bio completely off. I just made my bio blank so that people were forced to kind of read the stream to start to form an opinion about me there there was no like way to to knee-jerk reaction to my bio and be like oh this is the wrong guy or this guy this guy has this really big side gig or like there's you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. if somebody if a credit union person lands on my twitter they learn nothing about me i purposely used a different picture and they can read through my activity stream and they're going to find, they're going to say, I, I, this might be the same guy, but I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't even think I have a link to my website on there. So I'm trying to make it not confusing, but I'm trying to hide. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> from the people who I don't want, I don't want them to think that I have like any focus, but credit me. Like I only think about credit unions all day long, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, uh, it gets really tricky with social media. I suppose I could just completely opt out, but that I was going to jokingly suggest stuff. that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that I, maybe, you know, honestly, that's not a horrible idea. It's not like I get that much out of Twitter and what? it's almost like, you know, turning it to private is almost not, would not be the worst thing in the world. I, I want to use this, just what I've heard coming from you, Jonathan, to make a point. And I, it's, it's not really personal to you and I hope it doesn't come across that way. Um, but you can hear the lack of the usual confidence that you have in your voice as you're talking about this, because that Mm. is the position you, you dear listener, put yourself in when you waffle, when you say, "Eh, I do a little bit of this, I do a little bit of that. You put yourself in a position where it's difficult to come across with confidence. And I got to say, the more I work with people in the services businesses, the more I realize that confidence is this key element in helping you uh, get clients. So anything you do that lowers your own confidence, your own ability to say, like, in a bold way, I can help you specific type of person with this specific type of problem. You're putting yourself at a slight disadvantage. And again, Jonathan, I'm not like throwing shade on you, but I just thought it was interesting that you could sort of hear, you can feel that struggle that comes about from having that, that split focus. No, you're a hundred percent right. I hate it. I yeah. hate, cause I feel it too. I hate feeling like that. Like somebody's like, you know, the cocktail party situation. Oh, what do you do? Well, I'm kind of doing two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, at, at some point, I mean, the, you know, who knows what will happen, but hopefully I'll end up transitioning over and just do one. I'm in a phase right now that I wouldn't recommend anybody get into. I have, you know, I have reasons that I think are exceptional that make it the best choice for me right now. But for the the person who wrote this, this question, uh, it's, you know, I know more context around because I knew who the person is and, and all that. So it, it would, it would, they, they do not have any of the exceptional circumstances and they would, like you said, just be putting themselves in a position that makes them less confident, which I would say is bigger than a slight disadvantage. I think that's a big disadvantage because if you are confident, especially in an area that's so full of people with these sort of waffly, don't know how to explain to people what I do type of answers to what should be simple questions. If you come across somebody asks you a simple question and you're the only person that somebody talked to that gave them a clear and concise answer. I think that's a huge trust builder. Like this person is mature. They know what they're about. They understand their value proposition. I am a good, I I recognize that this is potentially a good fit. I want to find out more. I want to get on a phone call with them. When you're in a service business, trust is everything. So being, having low confidence, oof, that's poison. I want to jump onto that with an expansion of that idea, I am coming to believe that is why, even if you do narrow down quite drastically in your positioning, that's still, that's why you still get approached by people outside of your area of focus. So let's say that you are now saying, I, I provide custom software development services for companies that do additive manufacturing. That's a pretty specific thing, right? And 
I guarantee you, <laughs> you're going to get approached by people outside that area of focus. I think why that happens more and more is they're simply responding to the confidence that comes from you being able to be clear. Mm-hmm. It, it just exactly what Jonathan said, like that confidence has a magnetic quality to it. And so someone who's like, well, you know, we do chemicals manufacturing, which is not the same thing, but maybe we could talk because you sure seem to know what you're doing. <laughs> I've had think... two people last week contact me with exactly what you just described. Yeah. One of them was a, a fortune 500 retailer was like, I know you're focused on credit unions like right now, but would you mind jumping on a call with us? Like they're apologizing hmm. for bothering me to get on a sales call with them because I'm like, I'm super clear about where my head's at, you know, where they came across me on LinkedIn and, and on my website. And they're like, wow, this guy does exactly what we need. He focuses on credit unions, but man, we could really use this because there's, you know, and they're putting the dots together. Like, well, you know, credit unions have branches. That's kind of like retail thing. This might work. I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's yeah. like a confidence thing that just translates and you end up getting the opportunity to work with people outside the chosen target market anyway. Yeah, which ends up being sort of like an interesting and in no way a bad way catch 22 where you start off laser focused, you have that confidence, you are able to speak with authority. And so people who are outside of your target market come to you and want to work with you. And then there's almost, I think, this temptation issue. Well, if this, I don't know what industry the Fortune 500 company was in, but Industry X, oh, wow, maybe I could have some opportunities to work with Industry X over here. And now we almost circle back to the reader's initial question. Well, I have these two target markets. They both want to work with me. They're both excited to work with me. Same homepage, different homepage. How do I split this? And I see this with a lot of consultants who establish that authority and start having clients come to them from outside of their primary target market. And I think that question comes up even at a more experienced level. Hey, I'm getting a lot of leads from a different target market. How do I reconcile this? Because I want to work with these people, but they don't fit in with what my positioning is. Right. It becomes a question... I think at that level of the, of the game, it starts to become a question of, uh, I mean, there, maybe there's a couple sort of checklist items you might have. Is it going to contribute to the body of expertise that I'm trying to develop? Because more and more, I think that becomes your primary business asset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, relationships too. It's, it's, it's not to the exclusion of other important things, but that might be one of the questions you then ask is, okay, I, I don't, I'm not struggling to get enough leads to barely stay in business anymore. We've moved beyond that, right? So you, you might ask different questions. Is it going to dilute or strengthen this uh, body of expertise I'm trying to build up would be one question. Is it, uh, how risky is it? I think might be the second question because mm-hmm. once you start to have that expertise, it is, it's like going around and anytime you need an umbrella one just pops out without you doing anything it's like it's a it's a sort of shelters you from some of the pain and risk that uh, we've all experienced with projects that go sideways and you just you're not in a position to fix it but you have to bear the consequences of it going sideways like we've all been there that happens less when you have that expertise kind of sheltering you so um I think you start to ask yourself, how risky is it for me to take this work outside my area of focus? Yeah, it could be fun and interesting, might be a little spice or variety in in the mix, but is it going to blow up? And if so, you're 
more than happy to turn it down. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe the third thing you might think about is, uh, is it going to dilute your credibility or uh, somehow make it look like you don't really mean it when you say that you're focused? So those are, I think, some of the considerations that are a little different than if you're just a kind of a newbie freelancer who's thinking about specializing for the first time. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah, this gets into a bigger topic, I think, which is, I don't, I, honestly, I feel, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I, I feel like a real, real laser focus, like incredibly specific positioning statement is something that's critically important for getting this fire, getting a fire started, you know, use a magnifying glass. You've just got kindling. You don't know what you're doing. You're new. You just got a little bit of fuel gathered together. It's never going to light by itself unless you focus the energy of, of yourself. So, or, you know, to use the metaphor, the focus, the energy of the sun starts the fire. Once you build that fire up and it's bigger and bigger, I, you see it all the time, you know, like companies that you're like, how, you must get it all the time, Philip. People are like, oh, they point to examples of really famous, well-known firms that are completely generalists or they're complete horizontal specialization, but they'll work with anybody. And they're like, well, what about them? And if that, when people ask me that, I'm like, well, look at their client list. They're not just starting out. Right. You know, they've got Nike and Target and Walmart and, you know, and they did these huge, highly publicized branding exercises that were in Harvard Business Review. Like you're you're not there yet. You need to they have this gigantic roaring bonfire going that they can throw any kind of log into and it's going to catch on fire. When you get there, you can do that. But you're not there yet if you're not there yet. So, you know, focus down, start a little fire and make it bigger, and bigger, and bigger. And over time, I think you things will change about your business. Most likely, you know, you might find that you become famous, a worldwide global expert for some horizontal expertise that you've developed that is widely applicable to a variety of industries. And you can just move in that direction at that point, but that's a really hard place to start from. So I don't know if, you know, Philip, if you have, if you probably have a different angle on that, but that's how I see it. Well, I, I, I agree 100% on the fundamentals of what you're saying, which is that every like piece of advice we give on this show, especially when it comes to something like positioning or specialization, is has to kind of fit into the context of the maturity of a business. So a lot of our advice is really, I think, intentionally curated for 
the, the newbie, right? The, the mm-hmm. person kind mm-hmm. of, maybe it's not day one on the job as a self-employed person, but it's, it's in that, those, those first two years. And, and Kai has a really nice framework, I think, for contextualizing this. Over time, momentum gives you choices. You can't, it's hard to steer a parked car, right? But once the car is moving, then you have more choices, I think, about mm-hmm. stu- at least stuff you can get away with without damaging things or things that you can do with that momentum behind you that you just could never pull off without the momentum at the beginning. So I, I might, uh, like, the only thing I would say that's at all different than what you said, Jonathan, is I do think if your goal is to develop truly world-class expertise where you're in a club with about maybe six other people who have as much specific expertise as you do in some area, then you you don't have all those choices. You really do need to maintain focus over 10 or 20 years to develop that kind of expertise. But that said, um, if that's not your goal, if your goal is just, hey, I want to start an agency and I want to have a half dozen people working for me, you have a ton of choices and you, once you have that momentum can do all kinds of crazy stuff that would kill you at the beginning. I mean, not literally, but it would just kill your momentum at the beginning. That's the only thing I would say in addition to what, just to add to what you said, Jonathan. Mm. Yeah, that actually, this is a a decent segue into one of the other questions. Should we maybe move on to probably should? (laughs) Yeah. So the other one is, is a uh, Kai posted it. I don't know who it's from, but the, the question is, how do you see the difference between positioning and specialization? And I've actually been dying to talk to Philip about this. I don't think we have, um, but I'd be curious. I, I'd be curious. Like, what do you see as the difference between those two things? You know, I've really <clears throat> over the last, I think six months migrated a lot of the language I use in what I'm teaching people away from positioning and towards specialization. And it's because in the context of professional services, specifically in the context of software developers, the word specialization just makes more sense. (laughs) And it encapsulates almost everything that positioning is when applied to the world of services and specifically the world of writing custom software for clients. So positioning is a broader idea that may include some very related stuff. So I guess maybe I should try to define specialization. <laughs> it, it's picking something. It, you know, it's picking either a market vertical. Um, people sometimes say a target market. That could be an audience. And saying, I, I work for you guys. I work for manufacturing. I work for retail. I work for credit unions. Whatever, Right. I work for e-commerce. That's a sort of pseudo vertical. Um, or it's picking hopefully a business problem that you can apply technology to and solve. In general, that's what specializing is. Positioning is a little different in that positioning may include things like pricing. Are you the premium option? Are you the budget option? Are you somewhere in between? And so technically pricing is a, is a component of market positioning, but it doesn't really show up when you think about specializing other than the the whole goal of specializing for most people is to be, to, to develop valuable expertise so they can just easily charge a premium rate 
and easily have demand for their services at that premium rate. I don't know how clear my explanation is here, but I just think of positioning as a slightly broader idea that includes elements like pricing, or maybe you could even put branding uh, under Mm -hmm. the umbrella of positioning. I like that a lot since I could be, let's say, let's pick on e-commerce, even though it's a bit hand wavy, but I could specialize in Shopify stores and I can position myself by saying, well, I'm top of market. I'm a luxury item. I'm a luxury good as a consultant. I'm charging a premium rate and I'm providing a white glove service for my clients. So I've picked where I'm specializing, but then I've positioned myself within sort of that that pond, that pool, that range and saying, well, these are the characteristics that define how I operate my shop. The guy across the street might say, hey, we will also specialize in Shopify, but we're focusing on all of our services are under $1,000. We want to make sure we are easy and accessible for people who don't have a large budget. So different positioning, similar specialization, similar discipline. Do I have that right? I think that's a really good example to articulate uh, the difference between those two functionally, I, I don't know that it matters. Like we're, we're getting more into semantics than we are in stuff that functionally matters to the solo freelancer. And I'm not trying to shut down the question. I'm just saying, so these are, some of these are really subtle differences. So the, the thing that, the thing that keeps on striking me is that specialization, there's like a Venn diagram thing happening here where where there's some overlap between positioning, positioning in the specific sense that we usually talk about it. And, you know, meaning probably not, probably not pricing, not, not more like what you tell people you do or like who you focus on. For me, positioning is always the same thing. It's like a, a a laser focused positioning statement, which to me is like a guiding light Mm -hmm. for your other marketing efforts. But so here's the thing, here's the, the, that maybe a difference that I see, maybe it's just me being semantic, but positioning is a marketing tactic. Indeed. Specialization is not specialization Mm -hmm. is a thing that you do. Like you, I could be specialized in, in translating Sanskrit as a hobby. I could be the world's greatest expert at translating Sanskrit religious texts, but that doesn't mean I'm marketing myself. It doesn't mean that I'm putting that out there. I might not even be selling those services. I might be a teacher at Brown. So the overlap, I think, <clears throat> so specialization, becoming specialization, I see as a process that you are engaging in to become an expert at something. And, and it's, and you can't just say now I'm an expert. I can't just, I can choose where I want to go, right. but I can't just flip the switch and say, I'm a specialist at translating religious texts from Sanskrit to English, but you could position yourself that way. So you see what I mean? Like you can, I can position myself overnight. I can just change my website done, but I'm not a, you know what I mean? But becoming it, but I'm kind of like faking it till I make it. That's more of a like, you know, dress for the job you want type of thing. I'm not saying lie in your, in your marketing. I'm saying like you can, you can change your positioning every day. You know, it's not a hard thing to change. You just update your website and change your, you know, change your sales funnels and whatever you just do it and you have control over it. But specialization is, it feels like a much more slow moving thing to me. Mm -hmm. So 
but to your, to, but you're right though. I mean, to the, the, the type of person we typically talk to functionally, is there really that much of a difference? No, probably not because you're automatically going to be talking about your specialization, which automatically becomes this de facto positioning. Like when I wrote a book about building iPhone apps with HTML, like it becomes like it was my specialization. And since it was published in, in public, it became my positioning, but it's two different things when you get right down to it. Yeah. I mean, one of the tricky things here is that some of the degrees of freedom that you, the way, the way you're describing positioning, so you're, you're sort of saying it affords you this freedom. You can make changes in your positioning relatively easily. And I find that more true in the world of, or in two places in the world of products for one, like, you know, a product company, let's say some company that makes backpacks or whatever, they can say, we want to become the premium option. And so they can start making changes that are, are pretty deep. I mean, they may have to change the product itself, but to a certain extent, they have latitude in like their marketing and they can make changes that are only about how they're marketing the product that might change its position in the market. They might say, okay, we've been photographing our backpacks with um, like out of work bums and now we want to photograph them with really good looking people who appear to live in a really metropolitan city and are Ivy League educated. And they could make just that change and it may move them into a new position in the market over time. Right. I, I mean, I'm, this is a simplified example. OK, mm. so I hope no backpack manufacturers are taking advice from me on this right now because it's a simplified <laughs> Don't example. Photograph with bumps. Got yeah. it. <laughs> um, but it with services, so that's the one place where positioning really does afford you that kind of freedom is the world of products. And the other, I think, is with more experienced services people who might have this kind of wealth of experience in their background. And they can say, okay, I want to pick this subset of my previous experience and really move into that position. And I want to position my, and here would be an example. I've been doing uh, work that is, I actually write code and now I want to start advising people. And I've done a little bit of both. Most, maybe it was 80% coding, 20% advising, but now I want to move into just advisory services. So I'm going to pick out that subset of my previous experience and emphasize that in my marketing. And, you know, maybe over six or 12 months, I can move into this position where I provide just advisory services. Those are the two places where I, Jonathan, I really feel like it operates exactly like you're saying. And positioning gives you that fluidity, can we say, in mm. how you market yourself. With uh, other, the place where it doesn't quite work that way, in my experience, is with freelancers who have less of a kind of deep back catalog of previous work experience, they're going to hear that and say, oh, I could position myself doing advisory services. And they're going to shut that idea down from the get-go because they, they feel like they lack the credibility. And so that's where I, I think positioning for services people looks a lot more like <laughs> specialization as we're defining it here. Right. Where yeah. you have to cultivate that over time. It has to be an intentional kind of forward facing 
change in your business that you cultivate over the course of several years. And, and I think yeah. that's why I've gravitated towards specialization is honestly, on a personal level, that's what excites me more is people like I was five years ago, making a decision and deciding to take charge of their career and intentionally become an expert. So honestly, um, yeah, it feels like you have more control over it. You can just, so it, it's funny because there's a, there's a process the, the thing that you, as you were talking through that, I was like, okay, there's, he's got a good point there because once you have established a position in somebody's mind, it's really hard to change it, you right. change it. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like the internal journey is what's different for me. Now that we're talking it through the internal journey of positioning happens in the customer's mind and the internal journey of specialization happens in the seller's mind, the developer, the freelancer's mind. You know, that may be the best way to distinguish those two. That's really yeah. good. That's beautiful. And it, it seems like you have specialization focusing on, well, I'm picking this expensive problem. I'm going to go deep on this expensive problem. And then once you've cultivated this specialization and this authority around it, you have your positioning where you fall in your market. I, I, I really like this as a distinction between specialization and uh, positioning. I'm wondering, do you see authority building strategies or tactics fitting in more with the specialization, the positioning, or sort of crossing across the chasm and affecting both? That's an awesome question. Um, one that I may not answer super duper well. I, I see a range of, of things. So I, I, like I, I just to, earlier today, I had a conversation with a guy in my accelerator program who's doing the following. Jonathan did it. I did it. This guy's doing it. Uh, you've probably done it too, Kai. You develop expertise by writing a book <laughs> and then you position yourself as an expert based on the strength of the authority of that book. Oh yeah. To a T podcast. Outreach, <laughs> right. And to my shame, I admit that I thought this was easy to do. And as I've worked with more and more people, I realize it's kind of insane to most people to even think about doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if software developers are perhaps a bit more risk averse than other uh, sort of mindsets. Uh, I love my clients. I love helping them. And I also need to acknowledge the constraints of what makes them so good at what they do, you know, developing software or engineering uh, tech systems. That's awesome, but I think it also maybe makes them a bit risk averse. So on the one hand, you can kind of manufacture your own credibility as as a part of this process of specializing and then develop a market position around that. Um, other people, I think, have to approach it differently <laughs> and they have to actually find client work that gets them the credibility that they need to move into the position they want. Like I said, it seems like there's. Yeah, I, I think your answer is very, very good. Uh, it seems like there's a natural catch-22 there that I see with a lot of people I work in their coaching capacity where I want to move towards specialization in this area, but I don't yet have experience working in that area. So why would somebody hire me to work in that area? I can't move forward. It's almost like the old, how am I supposed to get hired at a job if I don't have four years of experience? Yeah. Because nobody will hire me for a job. Yeah. Yeah, at some point you need to make a leap of faith. Like that like that comes that's the a, a route 
truth. Like at some point, you you have to stop researching. You have to stop trying to figure it out, and you just have to jump. Yep. And I, and you'll you and something will catch you. It, I mean, maybe it won't, but it seems to pretty pretty normally you you get caught. Like you, I mean, in a good way. Yeah. So, you know, it's like if you don't actually have the experience, but you have. I hate to use the word passion, but you know, if you if you just have the dedication and the the confidence of your convictions, or maybe you roll back to a um, a why you do what you do position that people find compelling, but at some point you just you know you just have to make the leap. Mike Montero has a wonderful, wonderful quote uh, that I'm absolutely going to butcher, but he was talking about how he got started as. A designer how he started working in the industry and he says it really came down or it comes down to one day somebody asking can you do this thing and you say yes even having no idea how to do the thing taking that leap of faith and figuring it out as you move forward if you decide to specialize in an area there may come that point where somebody says hey can you do this thing and it's outside of your area of expertise or it pushes the limits of what you know but you say yes you figure out how to do it you deliver on the project and now you've moved that much further towards specialization Let's make it a slightly bit more practical. So the one, uh, like Jonathan and I completely agree on this for, for I'm going to say at least 80% of people who are at that early stage of their self-employment. So they, they're a generalist. Maybe they have a couple years of experience. The right way to specialize is to pick a market vertical, retail, finance, manufacturing, you know, just mm -hmm. one of that's those are three of thousands if not tens of thousands of market verticals out there and so the fear that will come up is oh i don't really know that much about um well, let's pick a specific example i don't know that much about manufacturing well as a software developer actually you do because most of the metaphors used in software development come straight from manufacturing agile was a manufacturing thing before it was ever a software development thing or lean was you know so a, you probably know more than you think you uh, know, but B, you can acquire, I believe, enough domain-specific knowledge about manufacturing through research. Um, so even if you've never worked in manufacturing before, if you apply your software skills that you currently have, or whatever skills you have, maybe you're a, a freelance writer, a designer, whatever, you apply those skills plus, I'm going to say three to six months of dedicated research into that vertical you'll have a head start that makes the value you deliver to manufacturing clients considerably greater than just a generalist freelancer. You'll know their language. You'll understand the terminology. You'll understand how they make money. You'll understand some of the levers that can be manipulated through technology to make their business better. You'll, you'll know enough about that stuff to get started, to have some yeah. credibility. So that's the case if you specialize vertically. Um, uh, and this feeling of like, I, I don't have enough experience. I think you can acquire it through research. If you specialize horizontally, that's a little different because that's a, I think a slightly higher bar or maybe a dramatically higher bar for a lot of folks. And that, that is where I do think you need to actually have street, you know, what Jonathan calls street cred to be able to pull that off. Now you can manufacture that through writing a book or doing some side projects or if you pick a technology that's brand new, 
nobody has any street cred. <laughs> so mm. you're not you're not ahead or behind. You're just right there with the rest of the pack. And so that may be a time that you can bootstrap a horizontal specialization is if it's a brand new technology where literally nobody has any real street cred in it. Yeah, that's what happened to me with mobile. 4D printing. (laughs) Uh, Before the call, before we hit record, uh, we were talking about blockchain. Not that I'm encouraging people to jump into that, but that's a place where almost nobody has any real street cred. So if that was something you were passionate about, then you could not suffer from the fact that you're lacking street cred. Now, people mm-hmm. listening to this podcast two years from now, it's going to be a different story. <laughs> I promise you. Well, that's the problem. So that's that's the thing with, with a horizontal specialty in general. If you're not solving a business problem and your horizontal spe- specialty is blockchain or responsive right. web design, your fortunes will rise and fall with the hype cycle. Exactly. And And when you, you know, when you're surfing that wave, it's like you're invincible and this money will never stop coming. But guess what? Uh, if you haven't figured out how really why your services are valued, why people are really buying, cause it's not, it's not the thing. It's not the thing that they're paying you to do. It's not the tasks that they're asking you to complete on their behalf. It's some business outcome that you're generating for them. So while you're on that wave, I mean, if we were going to give advice, it's like while you're on that wave, talk to your, like understand through conversation with your clients, why they care about blockchain. It's not because, you know, there's, there's some business reasons that they're paying you to do something for them. And for me, like looking back on it, the, a lot of the, the, the responsive web design stuff I did and the mobile sort of mobile friendly web stuff was all marketing. The reason they wanted it was for marketing reasons. And so they were asking me for this specific thing. And at the time I was sort of clueless about all this stuff. And I thought, oh, they just, they obviously value this stuff that I value that I am excited about. They're excited about it too. So it's, they just need someone like me so that they can do it more quickly. But no, that's not why they hire. They're not just excited about mobile. They have business, you know, they have to justify the expense and the investment in hiring somebody to do this stuff. And there's someone farther up the chain from them, whether it's the board of directors or the shareholders or somebody, everybody's got a boss. And they're, you know, they need to validate this investment. It's not a fun hobby thing or research and development. And when you boil it down, it was really a marketing thing that they were getting. Yeah. So, you know, so now when you look at, when you look at my positioning around mobile, I don't even, I mean, I talk about mobile, uh, in the guts of my website, like the, the, the 12 point type, Mm -hmm. but most of the headlines are about member engagement. Yeah, that's a hugely important point. And it's part of why maybe 20% of, at least in my case, I work mostly with software developers, maybe 20% of them are in a good place to really capitalize on a horizontal specialization and make their business better with it. Um, But, you know, what you said, Jonathan, I just want to double down on that and say that if your idea of a horizontal specialization is, oh, I'm going to be uh, a world-class expert at uh, Angular for Rails, I, oh yeah, or IoT or something mm. like that, that's more of a technology platform, 
mm-hmm. then you need to look at that as a as, as a way to bootstrap into something that's connected to a business problem. So uh, Angular for what do you say Angular for bootstrap rails. for Rails? I'm not sure where that would let you bootstrap in to a business a horizontal business problem. IoT might let you bootstrap into some horizontal business problem of I don't know. Uh, data collection and making use of data like that's getting a business intelligence there we go Mm -hmm. that's more of a horizontal that is defined in business terms rather than technology terms yeah anyway this could be a very deep rabbit hole jonathan i think you and i agree on on that um the end game is and and i really do struggle like am i just here to try to make people into suits (laughs) you know like the common (laughs) parlance for consultants and maybe that is really my secret goal here. Um, I, I know that's probably a little bit offensive to some of the listeners of the show, the idea that I'm trying to change them into something they don't want to be. But I also think about freelancing in the context of a career. How can it be a viable career to be self-employed? And that's definitely one of the endpoints is that you move away from building stuff towards telling other people how to build stuff. So... Oh, yeah, I think if you really want to break through the ceiling that you do probably have to do that. Some people might choose not to, you know, they, they, they want to be the mechanic and they like it and mm-hmm. that suits their goals, uh, their lifestyle goals. The thing that I think none of us would disagree on is that over the course, if you want to create a career for yourself, you need to have more empathy with your clients than you probably have right now if you're just starting out. And be thinking less about your craft and more about how you're making their lives and businesses and lives better with your craft instead of thinking about like, oh man, this is the most elegant code I've ever written. It's, I refactored it to within an inch of its life. I want to print it out and frame it. It's so nice. No one cares about that. They, they care about the, they care about things that beautiful code and elegant code and, and lean code might give them in their business, you know, whether it's you know, extensibility or robustness or dependability or, you know, you know it's bug free, whatever. But if you're not going to have a career for very long, if you don't over time get, try to get better and better at, at being more empathetic with your customers and, and applying your skills to their business problems. And if you, if you can do that and get better at it, they're going to keep giving you money. They're going to refer you to other people who they trust. And, you know, it's very good for your business. And if you're like me and you're just sort of surfing on a tech wave where people were scrambling to not, you know, where, where innovators were scrambling to not get left behind because they're just have an innovation mindset. As soon as you get, you know, my business had to cross the chasm basically because, after the innovators were all gone and the early adopters were all gone, now you've got the laggards and the, you know, the late adopters and laggards who would really rather go to the dentist and get their teeth drilled than hire a consultant to help them with their mobile website. <laughs> so it becomes a much tougher sell. Yeah. So if you don't understand the business problems you're solving, you're just standing there saying, Hey, anybody needs some responsive web design? You know, we'll, we'll design responsibly for food. It's like, well, I don't know. I don't think we need that. We don't have that. And mobile's been around for a while. So, we're, we, you know, things could be better, but we're fine. So we're good. No, thanks. Mm-hmm. Woo. So I think, so yeah, we went really deep there. So the, 
I think that the takeaway, a really easy actionable takeaway is uh, specialize on a vertical is so much easier. If you're starting out, like interrupt me if you think I'm going down a bad path, but like specializing on a vertical is so much easier, safer. I mean, it's just everything about it for someone who's starting out is just makes your life easier and focusing on a horizontal specialization is like playing on hard mode. Yep. I would just add to that. You can't go wrong because almost every high value horizontal specialization requires a an understanding of like what's going on at the business level. And you can acquire that understanding by specializing vertically. So <laughs> you don't cut yourself off from a horizontal right. specialization down the road. In fact, you set yourself up to go there more easily and, uh, you know, readily and swiftly if you'll pick the vertical first. So, the one thing I just want to end this with is I have this boundless optim optimism about the people that I work with, the people that I help, the people in my audience. They're so smart and creative. So I am always super optimistic about their ability to learn whatever they need just in time to uh, kind of get where they want to go. So I, it, this idea of specializing brings up a lot of fear for people. And I'm always like, what are you afraid of? You can, you know, like you, you've learned object oriented programming. You think you can't learn enough about manufacturing businesses in, in a couple months to credibly talk to those people get out of here. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that blinds me to some of what people actually struggle with, but I just have this huge optimism that the, the learning that you need to do to specialize can be done. It's, it's not as hard as you think. No, I'm fond of saying that to specialize or to start positioning or to start that market research process, find a good book on that industry or on that topic. See what its sources are. Read two, three, four, five of those books, and you'll be fascinated with how quickly you start to pick up inside information or just information about the industry at a whole. And then it's not that far of a leap to talking to a client and saying, well, yeah, I have a deep understanding of your industry. And you do. You read five books or half a dozen books on the topic. You might understand the industry or aspects of the industry better than a client does at that point. Yeah, I mean, I totally did this with credit unions. Like, like within six months, I, I, for people who do what I do, which is a pretty short list in the first place, I, I, there's probably only six, maybe a dozen people in the whole world that know what I do and am familiar with like what's going on in like the regulatory space for credit unions, you know, and it's not like I need to be, it's not like I need to like thoroughly understand like what the odds of this bill making it across the floor of the house of representatives, but I at least will check in with like cutimes.com and see what the headlines are and just sort of kind of like everyone listening to this probably does on, I don't know, the verge or like whatever, whatever tech. Yeah, whatever hacker news is for for your the vertical of interest right <laughs> right you just also add one to your feed that's from manufacturing or from credit unions or whatever and you're like huh this is what people are talking about in that space so you know the other day something happened that was like gigantic news in the credit credit union industry but it was never, not even going to show up on the on like an inner page of the new york times like it's just not general news 
but it was a huge headline for credit union executives. And I'm in the middle of an outreach campaign. So I was like, Hey, you know, I'm from the outside and this seems like a really big deal. Can you explain it to me in layman's terms? And, you know, and I get these emails back and mm -hmm. now they're like, Oh, this person cares about credit unions. They under, and they now understand this. Maybe they understand some other things. I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm familiar with some of the other regulations, but this, I don't understand the significance of this one. And it, it really, you're right. I mean, just, I'm just piling on, I'm just giving an example to your theory, which is that it's really not that hard, but you do have to make the leap. You have to commit to like, okay, I'm going to add a credit union feed to my, to, you know, next to the verge and, you know, the next web and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. I always like to remind people who are in this, maybe this place of like, ah, I don't know that much about this industry. I say, look, if the CEO of your client gets hit by a bus, they're not going to ask you to take over. You just need to understand enough to be conversant <laughs> and uh, to understand the levers that they can move to save money or make more money. You need to understand what their customers are like. You need to understand a few things, but they're not going to ask you to run the company. Yeah. And as always, in a lot of cases, when you start moving into positioning or specialization in a new industry and you get hit with a question you don't know the answer to, an honest response of, you know, that's a really good question. Like, like you did earlier, Philip, that's a really good question. I don't know if I could give a perfect answer to it mm -hmm. right now, but da, 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 da. Yeah. That's a perfectly fine way to address it. You aren't expected to know every single thing about the industry on day one of specialization. Last thing I, I want to say on this, I think, unless you guys <laughs> bait me with more questions, um, is uh, here, here's an all purpose. Okay. The origin story question. So people are like, well, what if a client wants to know why I'm interested in credit unions? What do I say? I'll give you an all-purpose <laughs> origin story you can use. <laughs> we realized that we could not level up to producing truly exceptional results for our clients without specializing. So a while back, we decided to double down on companies like yours. Oh, can I have that as a ringtone, please? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's, that's a good one. That's excellent. All-purpose. Uh, I think it satisfies the question and makes the client feel good that they are who you decided to double down on. Doesn't get into unnecessary detail. There's your origin story. Nice. That's beautiful. All right. We have more questions, but man, we've been jawboning. So maybe we should move to picks. Let's move mm -hmm. to picks. For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings... Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. All right, Kai, what you got? 
I got, I got two. Uh, I'm focused on email marketing recently. So my first one is the course Autoresponder Madness. Uh, it's been around for a while. It's on version three. It's really, really good content. It's a different approach than the three of us have been taking with daily broadcasts, but it's more focused on uh, uh, having predefined campaigns and sequences. And so reading through it, it's very interesting to see sort of the other side of email marketing. So pick number one would be uh, Autoresponder Madness. Uh, a link will be in show notes. And the second is a small startup uh, that I absolutely love called Card, C-A-R-R-D.co. It just lets you make super, super simple, single-page, responsive websites, but it also has form integration and Stripe integration. So you could set up a just overnight, like we were talking about positioning earlier, you want to pick a new uh, vertical to focus on, you could set up a card website, have a contact form on there, have literally a Stripe buy button for somebody to buy your road mapping session in less than an afternoon. So it's one of my favorite new tools out there, uh, C-A-R-R-D.co. Highly, highly recommended. Awesome. Philip, got anything this week? Oh, that's awesome. I'm looking at this card website because I am a big proponent of the idea that you can build a website sort of iteratively instead of waterfall style. I think mm -hmm. the waterfall approach just kills people because they're like, oh, I got to have the about page figured out. I got to describe my services. And I'm like, your website is a pearl. Let's start with the little grain of <laughs> sand or whatever <laughs> that starts the pearl and then we'll we'll add on to it. Anyway, um, I do not have any picks this week. I thought I was going to figure something out during the show and I just got so into the conversation that I didn't have time to do it. Yeah, I, I, I've got the a new book. manual, of course. Right, yeah. I've got a new book called Specializing Without Failure. I think I want to promote that, but I think it would be easier for people if I had a vanity domain name for them. So I'm going to give myself a week to do that and come back and talk about that next week during picks. So nothing for me. Thanks, though. And Jonathan. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to pick coffee. <laughs> Uh, my wife found a Nespresso machine on clearance at Target this weekend and this past weekend. And, well, you know, uh, I don't know if people are familiar with Nespresso, but it's kind of like a premium version of a Keurig coffee maker where you get these pods, you put them in and it uh, squirts out. It's a coffee printer, basically. It squirts out <laughs> cartridges and it prints you a coffee. That's great. <laughs> this is the 4D printing. Yes. But, you know, and and uh, I have a Keurig in my office. We've used Keurigs for years, uh, at, at least two or three years. And I've always known the coffee was not that great, but it uh, is so convenient. And you can make just one cup, one cup, and you don't have to make a whole pot and keep reheating it. And it's all burned at the end of the day. And I drink a fair amount of coffee. So, uh, but I never pulled the trigger on the premium option in espresso. I have one friend who just raved and raved and raved about it, but I just never. And then, so there it was in our kitchen. And let me tell you, Keurig is like P compared to this. It is like <laughs> this, this thing creates the most beautiful, frothy. It's like your. It's like a liquid chocolate bar. It's the best thing ever. I. I mean, I'm. I. I don't know if I'm gonna keep going to like the the wonderful little cafe in my office building anymore because these things are so good. I want to bring them in with me. It is so good. If you like coffee and you are currently using a Keurig, I promise you that you will, you will uh, get positive ROI, intangible perhaps, uh, by buying an espresso instead. Holy mackerel. Okay, and then uh, second pick 
is I have officially launched and have started the how to build your first productized service email campaign, free email class. It's a, a seven day extravaganza that you can find by going to how to build your first productized service.com. The most <laughs> awkward and ridiculous vanity domain ever, but we'll link to it in the show notes. I like that you start laughing about two thirds of the way through saying the domain just, name. <laughs> you know why? Because I can't even remember it. It was a very bad choice, but now I just think it's funny. So how to build your first productized service at dot com. <laughs> it was dot net. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, uh, but people are liking it so far and, uh, you know, there are a few hundred people signed up. So I, I think folks, if you jump in there, you're going to dig it. And it's, if you're not familiar with productized services, uh, if you build by the hour, it's a great low maintenance, uncomplicated way to stop trading time for money. If you're trying to do something like that. I think that's it for this week. Uh, thank you all for joining us and we hope you join us again next week for the freelancer show. I had to think what podcast I was on. <laughs> <laughs> Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.